0: In Daniel chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, Many, many tekel eupharsin, or something to that effect. This is day nine. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's word. Together, we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story he's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day nine of the Journey Through Daniel podcast. My name's Tyler. I'm here with Brendan Lang. Hey, hey. And Stephen Kelly. Good to be back with you. I have a question for you. Today's a little bit of a questionable day when it comes to mischief Seems like somebody's being pranked. I'm curious. What's the most mischief you've caused, Brandon? The I feel most... like Iowa, you've probably like gone cow
1: tipping. Or... <laughs> cow tipping is not a thing. What? So they talk about how cows sleep standing up and you can go push them over. I have never seen a cow sleep standing. I trust you completely. They lay down. Is it like a different kind of cow that maybe sleeps? Like maybe. a Texas
0: cow it's or something? Seems like
1: that's something they do in Texas. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. I feel like it's more a legend than real, but that's fair. obviously it came from somewhere. I've never seen it. But you have, have you it.
0: like caused any mischief? Like what's the most mischief you've caused?
1: <laughs> how, <laughs> how mischievous. I'm just curious. What examples did you give? You talked about. Graf- I've never done graffiti.
0: Or like vandalized anything. I mean.
1: No, but my name is inscribed in a wall at my college. How did you do like that? Bring- like I said, Brendan. In it good way wasn't me. That's the funny way. thing. Like they, on a plaque? You no, won an so award? my buddies pinned it on me. Like they. Oh. There's this classroom. It says on the wall, Brendan Lang was here, date and everything. Oh, that's great. But you didn't. No, do it wasn't me. That but but someone took a picture to and sent to it you. to me. I was like, so. That's fair. What about no. you, Steven? Have you
0: vandalized oh, man, it? Man, I, I, I plead the fifth, man. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not safe for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've done harmless pranks. Most of them are harmless. In college, I set off a dry ice bomb. So like our dorms, the two guy dorms that are college were like L's that were facing each other. Mm -hmm. So there's like a corridor between them and I had done a theater production and I had dry ice left over. So we made some dry ice bombs, which is just like, I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but it's very (laughs) loud when they go off and they're like pretty harmless. So we set one off at like 11. We just tossed it out a window between in this corridor and like the baseball team from the other dorm like came up with like bats and they were like, who did this? And like, that was a fun moment. I don't know that I've ever fessed up to that because we all went back to our rooms and acted like we didn't know what was happening.
1: Mm, But I have a few moments like that in college, actually, but college is like right for that.
0: Well, we've got some vandalism happening today. Seems like a disembodied hand found its way into some plaster.
1: That's a good way to put it. I'm intrigued, a little confused. We should talk about that disembodied part. It's kind of interesting.
0: All right, let's do it. Let's get started with the commentary for today.
1: Day nine, the hand of power. Daniel 5 introduces us to a new ruler in Babylon named Belshazzar. The chapter begins with Belshazzar hosting a banquet. This banquet was likely the customary drinking party that ancient military commanders would host in advance of great battles. At that time, approximately 539 BC, the Persian army was approaching the city of Babylon and preparing to topple this old empire. So at his party, Belshazzar tried to encourage his people with a visible reminder of how the Babylonian gods had given them victory in the past. He called for the goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that they might drink from these trophies of war. What Belshazzar arrogantly fails to recognize is that the God of Israel had actually allowed this Babylonian victory in the past. So as the story unfolds, God sends his own visual reminder to Belshazzar. A floating hand appears and writes an on the wall. This symbol of a hand plays off a theme in Daniel which correlates to hands and power. In the book of Daniel, hands are frequently seen as possessing power. In fact, many times words that mean hand in Hebrew and Aramaic are translated into English as power. The point that the book of Daniel in general, and this story in particular, makes is that God holds ultimate power in his hands. God may give power to others for a time, and God can also take it away. This omen may have been written for Belshazzar, but it should continue to speak to us today. In our independent and individualistic culture, we like to believe that we are in control, that power resides in our hands. The truth is that any power we have, really anything we have, comes to us by the permission of God. God may set power in our hands, but God can also take it away. With the power we have, we should walk humbly before God and work to bring justice on earth. For day 9, we're reading Daniel chapter
0: 5, verses 1 through 12. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Stephen, you want to take us through our discussion questions for Day 9?
2: Question number one. The message that God holds power in his hands is meant to be a message of hope for people who are oppressed. God can bring down their oppressors, but why do you suppose he ever lets callous leaders have power in the first place? Question number two, how does the message that God holds power in his hands speak to you in your present situation? Is it a message of comfort, a word of warning,
0: or both? Hey, Brendan, Nebuchadnezzar's son has a name that sounds a lot like Daniel's Babylonian name like a little extra syllable. Belshazzar, Belteshazzar.
1: Belteshazzar, yeah. What's up with that? You want me to begin parsing Akkadian? (laughs) I mean, the names are very similar. There's actually some debate about what Belteshazzar means. The first thing I would actually want to point out though is that this isn't actually Nebuchadnezzar's son. If you actually look at history, documents that we know extra biblically, when Belshazzar is described here as Nebuchadnezzar's son, that's really more of an idiom. So we know that there were other kings that came between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. In fact, belshazzar he's the son of a king known as Nabonidus, who's sort of an absentee ruler. Belshazzar isn't even really a king. He's a vice regent. He's the crown prince. He's operating as king while his dad, who's technically the king, is off partying a long ways away, not being present for everything that's going on. So <laughs> Belshazzar, he's referred to as a son of Nebuchadnezzar because that's sort of an idiom. When you're the successor, right? especially a royal successor, you're a son of the person who... Kind of
0: like in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe when you're called a son of Adam. The human boys are called son of Adam, you know?
1: I don't remember that. But it's but an I- idiom. Well, it is. I mean, Adam in Hebrew means man. And so if you want to call it human. Okay, so not the same thing. So it's kind of somewhere. I guess you're not technically a direct son, but that's what we would call a gentilic. It means that you're a member I of this race. I wish you guys race. could see the smile on
0: Raymond's <laughs> face. He just got to use the word gentilic yeah, and he's exactly. thrilled.
1: <laughs> so It's great. Belshazzar, it's a name that's, I might be wrong, I don't really have any of my resources in front of me right now, but Bel means Lord. It's like Baal or Baal. In the Hebrew Bible, it means Master Lord. It's a reference probably to Marduk. It's another title of kind of like we call Yahweh Lord out of nine. So it's Lord Protect the King. That's probably what the name means. Something like that. Gotcha. Yep. So
0: it seems like there's a lot of history that's happened. I'm like Daniel was probably a kid, teenager, when he was brought over. Yes. When he was under Nebuchadnezzar. This is
1: much later. That's something we have to recognize. So there's like
0: a good amount of time has passed between yesterday's reading and today's.
1: We don't know when yesterday's reading even technically takes place. That raises a whole nother set of debates uh, about history and where these events fall. And we don't want to get into that. All right. Because we're talking about Daniel 5 now. But what I can say is that. That Daniel came into Babylon 605 BC around then. Nebuchadnezzar, his reign ended in 562 BC. This is now probably 539 BC. If the events we're going to read about in Daniel 5 are about the fall of Babylon, which they most likely describe, then this happened in 539 BC. So we're talking 66 years later. So Daniel's an old man. He's much older.
0: Not even just like 66. He's probably like well older than that. Yeah.
1: It's not like he was born and, you know, it's like yeah, his he's one-year-old. Not over as a baby. He came over he, at least as a teenager. Someone food as a baby. Yeah, he was that's like good. old enough to make decisions for himself and honestly to stand up to <laughs> guards who could kill him for not doing what they ask. Sounds like a teenager if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> That's what most people expect and that makes a lot of sense. He could be, let's say, 80 years old now, something like that. Wow, that's crazy. Well,
0: we don't really even see him in today's reading, so I don't want to get into that too much, but it oh, is a didn't. somewhat yeah, significant circumstance that's happening. So Belshazzar is the king regent, as you described
1: him? Vice regent. <laughs> Vice regent. Think like you have a king who, he's vacationing in a place called Tema great you know. so
0: we'll just say the CEO is out yeah. and his son is taking over that's good for the company but he's making some decisions yeah. while they're here or really just partying and they're at a party sounds yeah. great and what's the significance of him bringing out some of this like stuff that they had sacked Jerusalem and taken from there what's the significance of that
1: the way I understand it at least is could be that this is just a party and he's grabbing stuff that looks good and showing it off to all his buddies and his nobles. But it could be that this was again a momentous banquet. It's not just like a party for the sake of a party. We know that very often in ancient history, kings on the eve of battles or with battles approaching, major wars approaching, they would host banquets, oftentimes long banquets, where they'd invite in nobles, all their allies, people like that, and sort of prepare, you might say, for this war that was gonna take place. And what better way to sort of stir up encouragement for? all your commanders, all your leaders, all your chiefs, than by pulling out trophies of war from the past. And that's what these goblets and things like that were. They were trophies of war from when Nebuchadnezzar originally went to Jerusalem, conquered the city, took treasures out of the temple, as was alluded to in Daniel one, but also we know he came back to Jerusalem a few more times and actually totally and utterly destroyed the temple in 586 BC. So Marduk and Nebuchadnezzar, Marduk, the God of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar demonstrated at that time that they had power over Jerusalem, at least it seemed to Babylonians and everybody else was watching and now this would be a visual reminder again that marduk was still in control that he was the god of babylon he did this once and he could save the people of babylon again
0: and that's the setting
1: yes that's just the start that's just the start yep
0: and then this hand shows up the disembodied hand and that's terrifying it's, it says it, the guy's knees were knocking.
1: Yes, we should talk about that a little bit too. Why? The, one day I forgot to bring my like Hebrew Bible and all this stuff in front of me, but there's an idiom actually there when it says his legs are, what was the text it says, exactly His knees say? are
0: knocking. His legs became weak and his knees were knocking.
1: Yeah, there's an idiom there that it's a little bit hard to interpret, but the way a lot of scholars would read this is that's alluding to something else going on physiologically in his pants.
0: So you're saying... Yeah.
1: You know, like when you get so scared, you... As you've
0: soiled yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of ways you can say it. I could say it's like a worse this. way, but... Exactly. I
0: think soiled yourself is pretty clear.
1: That's tame enough. So there's a good chance that that's what the text is actually trying to get at. Is It's saying he's so scared that, you know, he...
0: It's so funny that you grew up <laughs> around cows and lots well, of farm no, animals, I mean, yeah. and you're like
1: the squeamish one about talking not. I'm not, about this, I'm not squeamish. I'm recording this, and a lot I mean, of people would are listening. I mean, I would probably do the same so. thing,
0: right? Like you see a hand that's disembodied. On the wall, writing, and like I would probably do the same thing. It's probably a pretty profound and terrifying thing. I do want to like let's talk about the setting real fast here because it is a new brand of sort of power, but also arrogance Mm. that this guy has. I'm super curious just because this is what we've been talking about this whole book so far. What's unique about this guy's arrogance or this guy's power to you guys? How does this strike you?
2: You know, I mean, I think he's a chip off the old block. Once again, summoning the men to interpret his stream. I mean, one curiosity in this whole thing, Mm. you know, it was the woman in the story who kind of had any kind (laughs) of common sense and said, hey, remember (laughs) that guy? (laughs) So, you know, I could only think of in the spirit of this competition of them trying to impress the king they weren't thinking about strategically how (laughs) they could actually be helped. And so once again, this culture of fear, I think continues to dominate. But as I was reading this story, I mean, I think when we talk about power, what's curious to me is how humans... Use power. I mean, I think about the dream in the chapter before Mm -hmm. and Nebuchadnezzar being this tree. And God gives us all influence yeah. and it is to serve. And often when we talk about power, it's to control. And that's kind of like one of the first things that I recognize. King after king, just like Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to control. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, bringing out these trinkets once again and saying, look at me, look at what I can do. Look at how I use my influence. And it's typically to control people. And the power and influence that God gives us, like that tree was to be for shelter, to empower other people, to serve to nourish, to invite into rest. It's always telling how we use our power and typically when that happens then God decides enough is enough it's so revealing to me how sinful we all are and the God-given influence that all of us have you know and God gives some people more influence than others just like he gives some people you know the parable of the talents but he's no different than me than Nebuchadnezzar in some respect it's the same playbook
0: well and like I do think there's one way that's different that stood out to me is like every time that something happened in the story it said that he became more and more afraid. And mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar is driven to anger a lot. Hmm. And I think huh. it is telling how in our world, how much fear can drive leaders that do have power to act in the way that they do. There's insecurity there. There's questions that they have. And I think too often we assume that there's ill will by leaders. And so often it's either they're angry, so they don't act in a way uh-huh. that is affirming God's principles for empowering them with all of the power that they have, Or there's fear and there's this motivation of like, I either have to prove something or this has to work because of the stakes and I'm afraid. And they both lead to control. Yeah. And they both lead to making decisions that benefit you before they benefit anybody else.
1: And we haven't even gotten to the resolution of this story yet, but we focused on this hand of power idea because what I find interesting is that oftentimes in the book of Daniel, God talks about how he puts power in people's hands. Nebuchadnezzar talks about how he has power in his hands. Sometimes Hebrew and Aramaic words that mean hand are translated as power, so there's a clear correlation. And what I think is so important about this symbol is that actually throughout the entire Old Testament, this was one way God— revealed that he was in control. Oftentimes, he's talking about having a mighty hand, how he saved the Israelites with his mighty hand. There, he's actually playing off an Egyptian backdrop where the Pharaoh was often, in iconography, revealed as having a strong hand. He would hold up the heads of people he had decapitated and destroyed in war. Very and, visual. But God picks up, he speaks in that culture and says, no, I have a mighty hand. I have a strong hand. And you talk about disembodied hands. Oftentimes, these were trophies of war. Kings, when they defeated their enemies, they would cut off hands and save them as trophies. And this was they would Didn't Xerxes do account. that, or so one of the I'm one sure of the did.
0: king of kings. I can't remember which there one. There are a lot of, king literally of kings. Literally wore yeah. the hands of the kings he had defeated around his neck.
1: I don't know who, but I can't remember who it was. They did this, and you see this in iconography as well. But again, like another type of trophy of war shows up, and actually, it's not dead; it's alive all by itself just floating and it's obviously this is not just any hand this is a divine hand that's revealing a message to belshazzar and saying you think that you're in control you think that things are going to work out for your benefit and what you need to know is the reason you have these goblets the reason that you are in charge that you've been placed in this spot as king because ultimately i have allowed it all to happen
0: I alluded to it in the intro a little teaser but we'll get into what it actually said we'll talk about that tomorrow and I just couldn't wait to tease it Mm because it's such a fun it is fun terrifying looming little message that's on the wall that's been vandalized into the plaster but I am curious you know you talked about the hand of power we've talked about like there is this level of arrogance that's happening here because we don't even know what Belshazzar has done or accomplished that allows him to act with such impunity for and like lack of respect for all of these trinkets that he Brings out because it says right here Nebuchadnezzar is the one who sacked this and brought it out. And it does seem like there's this like rich kid who's like touting all the things that they've done well. And like,
1: well, he seems like a young kid. And I think as Stephen, you alluded to the fact that there's this woman who speaks up. And a lot of people actually describe her as like the queen mother, this woman who's kind of been around and is familiar with Daniel. She's like, you should know about this kid. You should be paying attention to this. But here's a young leader who doesn't have wisdom, who hasn't paid attention to the stories of the past, who hasn't heard that there is a God who reveals mystery there's a god who reveals himself who has demonstrated his control over (laughs) kings in babylon in the past and so now you need to call daniel you need to pay attention to the fact that there's this god who has wisdom for you but he's blind to it
0: it's almost like daniel's not working anymore you know he's like a little he's retired. like retired and yeah. they're like oh there's this guy he's in charge of all these dudes back in the day you should call him up and we'll mm-hmm. see what happens in the next part of this story tomorrow but i think it's just super fun that like the legends carry yeah. through and the people who remain faithful those are the stories that remain throughout all of this arrogance and this power that's been just passed down to generation the things that remain known is like oh this guy this guy has full wisdom this guy is attuned to the holy god the one true God the God of God. Yeah, it sets up
1: a contrast then between Daniel and Belshazzar, really. It's uh one guy who, this whole story, he's been known for his wisdom. He's been known for his connection with God. He's known for how he's been able to read these omens and dreams. And it's because he has this prayer life with God where God speaks to him and he speaks to God. And they have this intimate relationship. And Belshazzar, again, is a guy who doesn't have wisdom, who's just doing, I guess, the best with what he knows. But he hasn't been listening to others, hasn't been paying attention to what's gone in the past. And so he's making his own decisions that are ultimately going to to lead to his own downfall.
0: Yeah, the contrast cannot be like overstated too. You've got somebody who served under the king and served faithfully to God, and he's the one who has wisdom and not really power. And then you have the person who has power and no wisdom. So it begs the question, you know, where does power actually come from? Because these people who are actually in power cannot proceed
1: in any of these stories without the wisdom. Yeah. And there's a line that's used. It says in verse 10, the queen comes in, may the king live forever. We talked about this yesterday, this idea that oftentimes people greeted kings this way. And what's ironic, I guess, is that Nebuchadnezzar was greeted this way. He's not alive anymore. Nebuchadnezzar's successors, we can assume, were greeted this way. They're not around anymore. They haven't lived forever. And yet, Daniel somehow has actually surpassed all these kings. He's he's a vegetarian. (laughs) Maybe he's he's got got a good diet.
0: Yeah. He's not eating the king's food. That's why.
1: Again, he's a captive. He's, He's an exile who's been forcibly carried into this land, and yet somehow in these governments, he's been able to outlast all these kings.
2: You mentioned that question, where does power come from? Mm. And, you know, I'm still processing out loud, but I think we kind of cut ourselves off at the foot or we limit our ability to influence when, to your point, either from anger or fear we focus on self. You know, I was reading with our staff today, Proverbs 2, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. Hmm. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. And I think about Daniel. He's a shield to those who walk as blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. And so he's doing all this for the upright, the blameless, the just, and the faithful ones. (laughs) You know, and so I think this Fear and anger diminishes our ability to actually influence for good. Mm. And it turns us into self-centered kind of people who can only think about ourselves.
0: I think that like you see that too. You see that all over society and how that manifests itself, right? It's like when you are able to look past the actions that people have and the power that they lord over others, Uh you usually can see that stuff. You can see the insecurity. You can see the fear. And that's such a tangible way of us to really empathize with leaders, but also speak to those things and gives us context. And that wisdom does give us some power when people try to lord that over us. And, you know, there's this question that you read today, Stephen And I've been liking answering these questions more and more on here because, you know, we're asking other people to answer them on their own. And I think that everybody can answer these a little bit differently, but I'm curious how you guys would answer. How does the message that God holds power in his hands speak to you in your present situation? That can be like in society. This can be like personally. Is it a message of comfort, a word of warning, both? These are big questions to ask because depending on our day or our week or our interactions, this could mean very comforting things. It could also mean very devastating things. I'm curious how this is present for you guys.
1: This has been a hard week for me for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of just difficulties. I've got family members who are really sick with COVID. You know, we have these debates going on. Again, we're reading this and <laughs> we're talking about this six weeks before. <laughs> yeah, we've named uh, This is We're doing this yeah. well before
0: the election yeah. and this is airing after the election.
1: So. Exactly. And it just seems like there are a lot of things changing around us. And I think that the message that God holds power in his hands is, as we've been talking about, at least for me, it's a message of hope. It's encouragement that God sees how this is all going to shake out. God sees the future. God understands what path he wants to lay before me. And so I'm going to trust him. I'm going to lean on him and recognize that because he's in control, if I'm faithful to him, he's going to give me victory in the end. I may not see it now. I may not see it in a few months. I don't know when I'm going to see it, but I know that if I'm faithful to him, he's going to be faithful to me. And so I'm going to trust him because he's the one that's ultimately in control.
2: Amen to that. I mean, I think for me, I in some ways almost redefine like what is power? And I think because I believe that God holds power, once again, how did Jesus himself embody power as he walked this earth? He used it to love, to serve, to invite people in. And so that kind of invitation is always available to us. I always have an opportunity to use my power. Now, it may not be in worldly victory But even in suffering, I can will the power of Christ. Even in defeat externally, Mm -hmm. I can serve. As I was praying, even last week, I felt like the spirit spoke to me and said, even in this chaos, you know, I'm thinking of Psalms 23 says, you know, he leads me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. Or Psalms 1, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Mm -hmm. You know, God was saying you can be proactive even in crisis because I'm your source, Mm -hmm. not to defeat someone but to serve, but to love. And so when I think about that, it is comforting to me because in every situation that I encounter, I can be Christ. Mm. I can embody Christ. I can embody love and I can always do that. And that is victory. It doesn't mean it doesn't come without suffering. It doesn't mean that, you know, everything that I'm praying for is going to come to pass, but there is a peace that's attached to that. That's the rest that Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest. That is always available in crisis, in suffering. And I hold on to that truth even when the outcomes that I'm praying for or even desiring don't line up with the opportunities I have. But I'm like, I can be faithful. I can serve because that's the power that God gives me. And my external circumstances never diminish that opportunity.
0: Our pastor, Amy, said something similar to us in a staff meeting this week. She said, you know, we have the opportunity to be like Jesus in everything that we do, no matter what decision happens, no matter what's going on. But surprise... Being a lot like Jesus is a lot harder than you think it is. And I think that that's the hardest part about getting to know the life of Jesus. And this is turned from Daniel to Jesus. And there's a lot of parallels to the two. But, you know, the man died in the most humiliating and sufferable way. And we're called to be like that. Yes.
2: And told his followers, a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, like, this is the cost.
1: Yeah, Yeah. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. We want to raise our hands and know that we're forgiven. But if we really want to truly follow Jesus. We want to give our allegiance to Jesus. It looks like giving away power. It looks like not having seats of authority in the kingdom, but it looks like getting down on our knees and serving Mm. in the kingdom.
0: Completely agree. I think that there is a piece of this too, that the comfort comes from me is like power and wisdom is not mutually exclusive. And in situations when you feel like you are lacking in power, you still have the opportunity to receive wisdom and understand. And that's the piece that's coming for me in this Mm. is there's this contrast that is really present in this scripture today. And just where I'm at, you know, I've had a tough week too. There's a lot of change happening in this world and for my life personally. And I think the difficult thing is to stand in with wisdom and knowing what that wisdom tells you and having to make mm-hmm. tough decisions to be true to that. And it often does look like surrender. And it looks a lot like stepping down from power. And like Brendan said, that may be the right decision, may be the wrong decision, but we can have faith that God has ultimate power and his kingdom is going to come on earth regardless of what we say or do.
2: One of the phrases that one of my mentors, her name is Judy, says to me all the time, she said, you be faithful and let God be great. Often we feel like we need the power to be great, but God always has the power to be great. If we're faithful, we can trust that if we're faithful, like God protected Daniel, God says, I will be your shield. I will be your fortress. Yes, you're going to suffer like I suffer, but like, let me be great. (laughs) Let me appoint who I, like, this is seasonal. This is for a season. You be faithful. And that's something I can hold on to.
0: Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org and follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.